Had your pint yet? Not yet. Not yet. Haven't been to the pub. I've seen the pub. You've seen the pub? Yeah, it's like an oasis in the desert. <laughs> I've seen it, haven't been. Um, I was under the pretense we were playing five-a-side last night, uh, but that was cancelled. Yeah, I imagine um, the, the other team were down the pub. Yeah, doing what normal people were doing. Yeah. Um, so I got I got a bit annoyed about that, so I just came home and cooked a stir-fry, mate. Did you have a pint? <laughs> yeah, I went to... I had a, a couple of uh, pints in the Slug and Lettuce. Ooh, so, lucky um, you. So it was nice, yeah. Sitting in the garden, wasn't very warm, but, you know, it, at least it wasn't snowing and raining like it was down south. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed quite a few places are on the side of the road, like it's sort of southern italy yeah. uh we're overlooking like Con- a dual carriageway <laughs> it's like we're on the continent now yeah it's gone a bit wrong hasn't it yeah like, it has. yeah the weather's not quite there no um it's, yeah that one down the road is uh you know you can have a, a pint please and a mouthful of exhaust yeah yeah you get to, yeah you get to overlook the busy high street yeah. um and they sort of caged them in down a pub around the road it's like a zoo like a east bristol zoo isn't it, it is mate yeah which it, there's an argument for that i suppose yeah um yeah, but happy to happy to get the the pubs open, um, yeah. and obviously with football back as well, this Saturday is shaping up to be an absolute blinder. Well, I'm going down the pub tomorrow night to watch the football. Lucky you. That'd be good. Good atmosphere. Yeah, it's just good to be back to normal, isn't it? Yeah, it's one step closer to normality. Freedom. Episode five, Coops. Talk to me. So yeah, we have an exciting episode today. Yeah. We've got we're talking all things Rovers and City, like normal. But we've got a very special interview with Bristol's number one. I'm sure everybody knows who that is. Yeah, good chat that was. Yeah, it was good, good fun. Uh, we'll be talking about the nominees for the Bristol 11. And this week, it will be the right midfield spot. So some tasty nominees there. And we'll be finding out who the centre-back pairing for the Bristol 11 is. Absolutely. I'm Coops, that's Patrick, and this is Bristol Kicks. Right then, Coops, relegation party. Is it time for me to buy a party hat yet or what? <laughs> um, I have to be honest, it's looming, isn't it? The the invites are getting written. They're about to be sent out. Yeah. And it could be live on Sky Sports because apparently the Portsmouth versus Rovers game is being picked for Sky. And rightly so. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I get as many people watching it as possible, in my opinion. Let's be honest, we've got five games left. Three of which are against teams in the playoff position. They are. Two of them are bang in form. Yeah. And realistically, we need three wins from those five games to have any chance of staying up. We've got the joint worst form in the relegation pack with Wigan Athletic. That's not a club you want to be joint with, really, is it? No. Uh, uh, yeah, they've obviously got financial troubles. Um, Northampton Point was a killer. But I guess the only blessing is that they have hard fixtures too. But, you know, if Wigan get their act together, they have a good run in. It's going to take a minor miracle to stay up. And hopefully Joey Barton calls on his Lord's Prayer again. Stranger things have happened though, Coops. Yeah, they have. But this would probably be the greatest escape in our history if we escape this one. Do you think for old time's sake you'd let Portsmouth throw on your away kit? (laughs) (laughs) Do you think you'd get... Oh, go on, lads, just stick that on. No, we saved that for the relegations when we got out of the league. Right, okay. <laughs> so, we're not, we're not there yet. Well, listen, um, we sort of said, how many games How many games you got left? So, five games. Five games, yeah. 
on that final game, or at least when relegation is looming, we'll definitely put a wager together on survival because I feel pretty happy in where we oh, stand yeah. right you, now. You let it get to right as we get relegated and then you put the wager on it. That's not really fair, is it? Listen, I still think you may stay up. Um, and that's only because when you do go down, I'll enjoy it even more. <laughs> <laughs> right, enough about Rovers. Yeah. Anything happening at City? Yeah, good things. Um, Mark Ashton, uh, it's been announced today that Mark Ashton is stepping down on the 31st of May. Um, I'm a bit scared of being wrong about this and I can see Ipswich getting to the Premier League before us when he finally goes and beats oh, the yeah. CEO o- of Ipswich. O- obviously. Um, and it just making us all look like idiots. Uh, the only good thing I will take from that is I think Pearson is going to get control of the club and his signings, and I think that's an exciting prospect to be in. Yeah. Uh, where's Morgan? Where's Morgan? Yeah, yeah. I, cannot... I can't wait to see him in that captain's armband. Yeah. Um, <laughs> can't wait to you announce him on the roof. Yeah, cannot wait. Um, yeah, no, look, just just let him bring his own staff in. Um, Ashton, for what it's worth, he's a good businessman. I don't want to. Be, I'm, I don't dis like the bloke I don't really know him so I can't say a lot but um, yeah some of the decisions are are clearly business led as opposed to football led Um, but I suppose as a fan we probably wouldn't understand it Uh, so our natural reaction is to say what are you doing Mark Ashton selling him and doing that and bringing him in you know nothing Um, but business wise he's you know he's been there the only thing I will say to him he's a bit gutless when things were going bad he um yeah, he want he want about so, and this must be going on for week, for months. This takeover from Ipswich. So January, when we're begging for a left back, he must be in talks with Ipswich at that point. <laughs> Not worried about City. So, um, yeah, there's a few things. I don't think many clubs that he's been at have um, too many good things to say about him. I don't think many City fans have got good things to say about him. But um, uh, yeah, can't wait for him to get out of the club. If I'm honest. New era, Nigel. Well, you just need Nigel Pearson to sign now, and then uh, new era starts. It's really exciting time, mate. It's a really exciting yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, can't wait. Yeah, really exciting time to be a City fan. Um, uh, it's a big ask. New CEO, new manager. Uh, lots of players out of contract. Lansdowne's got it in for him this summer. Uh, he's got it in for him really, and he needs to sort of club it together but if it all comes together I can't see why we won't be in Europe in five years (laughs) (laughs) right then shall we get on with the interview yeah we're joined by the man who has represented both the blue and the red side of Bristol who also made the controversial move across the divide in 2006 good Uh, laugh yeah we hope everyone who listens enjoys it yeah How you doing? You okay? All good, all good. You right? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Um, you obviously grew up locally, obviously, Steve. Um, who did you support when you were younger? Who was your Who was your team? Um, in all honesty, I didn't support. I, I still don't support anyone. Um, I, I had a, an interest in both Bristol clubs. Obviously, living living in Somerset, but um, some of my mates were Bristol City. Some of them are Bristol Rovers. Um, I actually played men's football from a, quite a young age, 16, so I never really went in to watch weekends um, because I was playing and I was playing. So that had something to do with it. But um, 
No, I, I, I no, not, I, I still don't really support anyone to this day. Do you think that was just the reason was you didn't get to see the games, really? Is that all it was? I didn't go in. No, I, I, listened, I probably watched Bristol. I can remember going to watch Bristol City with a mate of mine. They beat Notts County 3 2. That was when I was, oh, God, 15, I guess. Yeah. Um, or in the winter. Um, it was a great game, actually. And then I went to watch Bristol Rovers um, at Twerton Park. Um, I, can't, I can't remember who it was even against, to be honest with you. It was a pretty boring game, probably. But Bristol, the game I watched with Bristol City, it was a one of those, it was a thriller. I think they were 1 0 up, 2 1 down, 2 or 3 2. So it sticks out because it was a bit of a, it was a tidy game. But I can't remember who I went to watch watching um, Bristol Rovers, to be honest with you. But yeah, that, that's the reason. That's mainly the reason. Yeah. 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 Um, so keeping, um, what, what age did you start, start goalkeeping? Obviously, you were playing. What, what age did you decide, you know, this was um, what I wanted to do? I was pl- yeah, I was playing outfield um, up until sort of late primary school. Um, and the only reason I went in goal um, was because the goalie was ill that day. We had a game. And I remember the game, clear as day, it was against Long Vernal. And they were probably about two miles the other side of the, the town in Mr. Norton. And um, I played and uh, I, I was quite busy. But funnily enough, we had a um, quite a big garden. And there was two apple trees in the garden that were perfect goalposts. So we never had to chuck our kit down, me and my brother. <laughs> yeah. I, was the, I was the youngest. I was the youngest of two other, of two older brothers. And he would never play with me unless I went in goal. Yeah. Um, so as a as a sort of kid growing up, seven, eight, nine, it was no no football or playing goal, and it was it was always go out and go and goal because I wanted to be outside. I wanted to be running about. I wanted to to do all that sort of stuff as a kid. We didn't have iPads and all the disastrous things that are, are that have been invented since I was a kid that, yeah. that stopped the kids enjoying what I enjoyed. And I, I think it's a massive shame. I said every podcast I do, and I do a lot of them, I harp on about the how privileged I was as a kid to be in a in a in an era with no devices. Yeah. yeah. And I look at the and I and I look at the kids now and how much they're missing out on BMXing, pushing over hay bales, rolling round hay bales down hills and uh, yeah. trying to run over your mate and like going fishing in the brook and you name it, we did it, and yeah. So it was a, it was a, it was a time where I was outside all the time, and my brother made me go in goal. So what, even though I was in goal in the garden, I still played outfield up until that point. Yeah, and then not only until then did I um, actually think, oh, this is quite all right actually, because I loved being involved, and we we didn't have a very good team. We were a very small primary school compared to most yeah. around the area. A little Catholic St Benedict's um, primary school in Mr. Norton. So. Um, yeah, I think I must have done quite well. And the, the teacher kept me in the, the team. And that was really where, where I started playing, about 10, I think it was. When you were growing up, was there other sports you were into? Or was it just purely... Loved cricket. Loved cricket. Absolute cricket was my game growing up. Are you still playing that now, Steve? Um, I've, I've had a little bit of... Yeah, I've, I've done a little bit. I have, Listen, I have my kids every other weekend. Um, so, I, you know, I'd rather spend time with them. Um, but I have played. They come and watch and... I don't love it as much as I used to. I, I really value my weekends. having not had weekends my whole adult life, really, until I've retired, which wasn't until a year and a half ago at Yeovil. Um, I really, I really, <laughs> really do value them. And the family time that I get, the weekends is, is, is immense. So I really look forward to that. So I did play and I didn't really feel, have the love for it like I used to when I was younger. Um, and being a batsman, and, and if you get out quite quick, it's a bit of a boring day. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I've got a far better... I got far better things to be doing than scoring for ten overs or umpiring for ten <laughs> overs while I've already been got out and then going and fielding for forty overs. I got way better things to be doing. <laughs> so were you were you an opener or a bit of a middle order kind of 
come in late in the no, end. No, I was no, um, I was. I played for Somerset Schools as a as a kid, right? Really, like to a high, really high level. Um, and um, I trained probably three or four times a week. Played twice Saturday and Sunday. I was hitting big runs back then. I was hitting double hundreds and all sorts. So I was I was really tidy left hander. Yeah. Um, and that was at like county level, junior county levels. Um, and then I always remember it. The coach for Somerset said that I hit it in the air too much. <laughs> um, so the, the the season the season that football took over was the reason because the coach I was hitting what hundreds constantly. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of runs. Yeah, they didn't like me because I hit it in the air too much. No, so there's a little, that, there's a little. I can't remember the. It is now, and yeah. and when I, I look back and think, crying out loud, if they had done that when I like when I went on trial at football at that age, like to, when I went to Bristol City on trial, if they'd have turned around and said, "Oh, he's good, but he's uh, he's exceptional, but uh, he's not loud enough." Well, yeah. surely you just coach people to be louder, or you or you coach me to try and hit it along the floor more, but. If you're hitting that many runs or you're that good in goal, why why would you criticise? I, I, yeah. it, it, it mind boggles me. And, and it, it hit me a little bit because I loved the game and I, I knew how good I was. Everybody knew how good I was. And I was by far the best batsman in the area. And they just, yeah, they just sort of said, <laughs> yeah, they wanted, they wanted like people to just play it along the floor and be, I was like T20, but 25 years ago. Yeah. Ahead, yeah, ahead yeah. of your time, Steve. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. They didn't like it. <laughs> you find that with with professional sportsmen quite a lot. It, you know, obviously you've had such a good football career. There normally there is that second sport that they're also excelling at as well, and there is that decision mm. to be made. Um, I just want to skip forward, or obviously from the uh, primary school a bit forward to Poulton. Poulton being yeah. there um, was that that was the Southern League at the time, wasn't it? Um, no, it was one below the Southern League. It was in the um, Premier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. You know, those leagues, we, I mean, we play, what, three, four leagues off of that? We're just mm. below county level at Almondsbury. Mm. Our first team are in are in the tool station. Um, I'm actually the manager of the reserve team. Um, yeah. So I got a reasonable understanding of that. It, it, that level is littered with with players who want to be professional footballers. That You know, they might have been released from academy in age. Um, yeah. You know, you got your break at 19. Um, what, what happened there? Tell us that sort of story. How did you slip I... up through that net? I, it was, it was quite easy, but very, I was fortunate in a way, but it was quite easy. Right. And, and I tell people this, that have um, ambitions of turning pro or getting to a net, getting to the Southern League and then bouncing from the Southern League to the conference North and South and so on. Some people won't go straight from that into the, league. they might bounce in, into the next league, then into the next league, then in, then go in with the team that they're with, for yeah. instance. But I, it was very simple for me. I was playing in the reserves. I'd never been coached ever um, at 16 and um, the goalie went back to the team that he left in the summer for on the Friday night left Horton Rovers first team with no goalie and they had an FA Cup game the next day away against Larkle in the preliminary round and I was at the club uh, with my mates and I had had a few bevies and the secretary rang the club because there was no mobile phones back then and he said uh, uh, Steve there he knew I was there I got there every Friday night because the reserves was the reserves it, it, it didn't matter I had a few bevies it didn't matter I was 16 I didn't understand anything anyway what that's why, that's my mind yeah my mind my mindset was so far away from football and what it had to be very quickly um, that just says it. I was drinking the night before a game. Um, I was 16. I didn't know any better. I've never been coached. Um, I was very raw. I was tall. I was aggressive. I was loud and I could kick it all right. Fundamentals of goalkeeping I didn't have. So I got, anyway, I answered the phone. It was the secretary. He said, Steve, whatever you're doing, don't drink any more drink. 
He said, you're playing in the first team tomorrow. Well, my ass nearly fell out. Um, because of this, the level, because of the level. Um, and back then, dare I say it, it was probably a Southern League level. Whereas now it's not as good as it was when 25 years ago, when I played in Tiver and Taunton, we were in it. You know, it was a proper, very, very good league. And especially at 16, going into that level where you've never been coached. Yeah. Cut a long story short, we beat Larkle 1-0. And I sat in the dressing room after and it it, it's, it was like a, an epiphany almost. It was, it was weird because I never had that feeling about anything else. I absolutely loved it. Loved the pressure, loved the aggression, loved everything about the game, loved winning and the feeling of winning and the, the boys after the in the dressing room and all that and all the all the, the the plaudits that were coming my way because of obviously I was young, it's my first senior game. And from that moment on, I thought, right, I'm not gonna stay in this team. And they give me 50 quid, mind. That was like a quarter yeah. of my wages that I had to work bloody hard for to do something I love. Yeah. So I, from that minute, from that minute, I thought, right. I ain't going to get any better by someone teaching me because there isn't anyone. They haven't got anyone to teach me, are you, coach? So what can I do? And then all of a sudden I went, match of the day. No Sky Sports back then. It was match of the day on the night time on a Saturday night at past 10. I either recorded it or if I was at home, I watched it. And mm. I watched it over and over and over again all week, analysing the goalies, basically. So any goals that went in or any saves that they showed, I analysed it. Who, who right. were they? I did. Who were those keepers? Oh, uh, Mate, you, Peter Schmeichel, um, that sort of era. And I analysed I analyzed them all, good, bad and the ugly. Analysed why it went in, how it went in, what could they have done better. There was no internet then really, like to search yeah. online and watch YouTube videos. Like there's millions now and there's people giving detail on that. I had to look and, and work it out for myself, basically. And I still look back at that now. And if I hadn't have done that, I call it, I call it homework. Um, it was the best homework ever, by the way. I would never have stayed in Portland's first team, never, because I wasn't reliable enough. And and they stuck with me. And being 16 and playing in that league, it raised eyebrows. Yeah. yeah so I yeah. constantly played week in, week out. Never missed any games. I never missed any games when I was a pro. But I, I didn't miss any games then. And I played for a year and a half solid in their first team. And then people just started talking because I was really young. It was a decent league. It was an aggressive league. And being in goal especially... It's a difficult position enough, let alone when you're a child still. Well, I was basically a kid playing yeah, yeah. in the men's football on a bloody good level. For a 16-year-old to then decide after that FA Cup game to, to do that, that's obviously that's obviously made your mind up straight away. And it obviously shows the drive and commitment you had. Um, but did you still get on the piss after the 1-0 win uh, at Larkin? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I still make, even, even if I was, I got my mum to tape it. So she tape it, ir- irrespective if if I was at home watching it or I was out on the piss with the yeah, little lads, yeah. yeah. Because I didn't just watch it once; I watched it all week. Yeah, you yeah. know, I've, I've constantly watched it and watched it and watched it because the feeling that I had after that game I'd never had before. Mm. Before that Larkle game, you had, you had no sort of ambition to be a professional footballer, and then once no, played, no, didn't even dream. Didn't even wow. no, no, it, not absolutely not, absolutely not. Oh, and it and. It was, it was, and you know what, going on through my career, that's what I loved. I loved the pressure of playing. I loved playing away from home. Loved it because I knew I, I, I was going to, dis, to to ruin people's day, i.e. the home fans. And like when I went back to Ashton Gate with Bristol Rovers, that was absolutely a dream. Not as in going back to play Bristol City and winning, but just to play in a game with that atmosphere because it was all about me going yeah. back and the, they came me the whole game yeah, I absolutely loved every second of it. I love it. And 
Sicker. And that was what I got. <laughs> you know, well, yeah. But, you know, I, I'm like all derbies. I play Bristol City yeah. against Bristol Rovers. A lot of players would be a little bit, oh, I hope we win. Oh, I just used to go and think, right, I don't care. They can throw a pass at me. They can spit at me. They can chuck any, they can shout <laughs> my name. They can K me. They can say yeah. stuff about my mum. Uh, they, they, I absolutely used to love it. Love it. The pressure, bigger the game, the, the more I loved it. And that took me back to the important bit with, with the pressure. I know there was not, you know, 200 fans, but when you're a 16 year old and you played in front of your mum and dad and about yeah. four others, and now you're getting paid and now the results matter and you're getting reported on in the paper, you forget all the bits that go with it. Yeah. The pressure was like, and then to sustain that, because everybody's now talking about me at 16 yeah. years old. Who's this kid? Who's this kid? What's he doing? How's he managed to get there and all that? And then all of a sudden the trials started to turn up. Yeah. And the scouts started turning up. And then you know they're watching. So you're playing not only under pressure to deliver for your club and 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 do that, but you're now under pressure because you know people are watching. Mm-hmm. And and that, that's not easy in itself to keep performing when you know you're under pressure from other areas of like Gibbo was watching and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I had to deal with all that and self-taught, but basically to a level that kept me in the team. That's basically where I got, and I didn't get any coaching until I turned pro. Yeah, at eighteen right. years old. Well, that's that's a that's a obviously a, quite a unique and a pretty special story that is, mate. So obviously yeah. that's off to you. Um, my first game as a fan was a six-two win, which I'm sure you'll remember, mate, <laughs> um, against Cambridge uh, in two thousand and one, and we done them six-two. And right. that was the team we had players like Lewis Carey, Brian Tinian, Harry yeah. Four up front, obviously yourself. Um, yeah, got any stories about that squad? That that was my first season ticket. Was that game, um, and I just remember it. And I, you got any stories about that squad or any of those those boys? Because a lot of them have made themselves, you know, legends in in Bristol City terms. Really, a lot of them. That, yeah, that whole mm. thing. That's quite unusual for for one squad, you know. So um, yeah, well, firstly, they got rid of Danny Wilson too early. I've said it on every podcast I've done. I don't know what happened. I think there was a bit of backstabbing going on. I don't want to name names or anything, but Danny Wilson went away. I mean, spoke to Steve Lansdowne and everything was kosher for the next season. And the next minute he gets sacked. Right? And Danny Wilson said that himself on someone's podcast. So I I think there was a bit of backstabbing. Um, that, that was a special team, a really special team. And I think given another season, we would have pissed that league. Yeah. Um, I think that we had some absolutely unbelievably good technical players. Tins is left foot, Scotty White, Lewis, yeah. probably the best defender the club's ever had. And, yeah. and probably ever will have very very underrated um, a master class of how to read the game one of the best people right in the dressing room um, he had it all he didn't have any pace that was the only thing he didn't have which stopped him going higher but he didn't need pace because he read the game so well Yeah, Sean Taylor you know Sean Taylor people you know we had leaders we had youngsters we had a mix of everything but what we did have was a manager that brought everybody together Yeah, treated people like human beings was hard when he needed to be hard but an Ian Holloway type figure around the dressing room. I always look back at, I love Ian Holloway. I've never played for him. I wish I'd have played for him. He was at, I think he's absolutely brilliant. Mm. And what, have you watched a video when he comes in breakdancing? They just got promoted. I think it's with Blackpool. Might Black, be wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah Blackpool and a team. Might yeah. be wrong. And all, you just see the reaction of the players when he, he's obviously gone out and done the media, hasn't he? And yeah. they're all in there celebrating and laughing and cheering and the cameras are on and all of a sudden the dressing room door swings open and he, walk, he like moonwalks in and doing all these dance moves and the, it erupts, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, you can, at that at that moment, having been a pro, at that moment, I'm just thinking, that's why they got promoted. Yeah. The, 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 the together, 
willingness, the willingness to go through brick walls for Ian Holloway because they love him that much because of his character and the way he treats you and the way he makes you feel. Danny Wilson had that. Um, and Frank Barlow was absolutely exceptional with him. We had a great team. We had um, power. We had resilience. We always went out thinking we were going to win. If you're out of the team, which is, this is, this is a, a major point. If you were a sub or you weren't in the squad, no one moped about, no one felt sorry for themselves. And that was what he brought to the table, as well as being a, a class manager, as in tactician-wise. And yeah, that was the basis of that great team. Yeah. And, and a lot of them came through the ranks, mind. Joe Brunel, Aaron Brown, yeah, Matt yeah. Hill. Yeah. You don't see that many now. You haven't seen that many for, well, since then, there was a lot. There was Dwayne Plummer, there was Dominic Barkley, had a little sniff. Um, you had a lot of local lot, lads. A lot of, Lewis, Lewis local, I yeah. was local. Yeah, Danny Coles was local. Yeah, yeah. You know, we had a lot of locals. That's never going to happen again. No, no. I think football's changed so much since then that actually, that you know, do people look? People don't look too local now. When you can, when you can spend, you know, ten grand on a, a ten-year-old to come into your academy. You know? <laughs> true, no, yeah. true. And that um, is probably why you, you as supporters, hold that team in high esteem because they were local. Absolutely, a lot of local players. Yeah, the class of Tony Thorpe with that. The class of Tins with that. Well, Tins is a lo- like a, a transformed Bristolian anyway, isn't he? Because he yeah, was there yeah. so long, they loved him. Yeah. We got like, oh, we, it was brilliant. And honestly, when we went out, we thought we were always going to win. Yeah. Any characters? Any top? Any good funny stories about that team? Oh, we miss Tommy. Tommy Dot. Tommy Dot was another one in that team, local lad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, we got a few. <laughs> we had um, Tommy Dot was um, best players, rule best players I've ever seen off the field. Not not great. <laughs> his application <laughs> his application didn't match his his talent. Let's say, right. So we'd be we'd be sat in half times and Danny would be talking and um, Tommy would be like hocking up massive greeners, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> spitting them up, spitting it between his legs because he liked to fag Tommy, I think. And because uh, I was number one, he think he played number four, so he was only like three people away from me, and I can remember like. Dipping, yeah. I was like dipping <laughs> because all he kept doing was coughing up these massive globs of like gob, yeah, yeah, spitting them on the floor, and it ended up being a pile as big as your fist by the time. I don't know, Danny Wilson <laughs> just didn't tell him to get the fuck out of the changing room or what, get out, yeah. But that was one of them. I can like, yeah, what a player, what a player. Um, yeah. Lewis and Scotty, jokers of the jokers of the dressing room. Many a time that I finished training and my car was not in the car park; it was six miles down the road where Lewis had got the keys. <laughs> Jumped in my car. Scotty followed it and he drove my car nearly to Porter's Head. <laughs> left it in a lay-by and drove back. Um, yeah, we yeah we had a few, mate. I'd have to have a good thing about some of them because I was in the game for so long. I got so many. But um, yeah, of course. yeah, well, look, Scott. It, I, I I guess the kit man job role at the moment obviously lends himself to Scotty. To be fair, with the character. Yeah, but yeah, but you, you know what, mate? That's you. You just you nailed it. Character. It's all about people around the place that have got good characters. And the minute you get one that. That hasn't got a good character, it can upset it. And and I've seen many a good footballer not get new contracts based on they're not they're not the best around the dressing room. I.e., if they get left out, they cause havoc. You know, and then you yeah. might turn around and say, "Well, that you did that when you got left out." But I'll explain in a minute what happened. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, we we're all, yeah we want to get to there. Obviously, um, just a bit more about City, I suppose. Um, yeah. Am I right in saying that like one of your first big occasions as a professional was the LDV in two thousand and three? Out of millennium. Well, I, well, yeah. As in, what well, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, no, it was my debut by a million miles. Okay. My debut yeah. in the championship, only having been coached for 16, 17 months at 
yeah. at any level at any level to get from there to play in the championship against Sheffield United, keep a clean sheet and have a pretty decent game with yeah. all that pressure. When you talk about the pressure about me loving it and yeah. really thriving off it and that. Anyone that says what's your best moments in football? That'd be it. Yeah. Played in the Johnson's paint, played four four times in the Johnson's paint final, three yeah. three Wembley appearances in the playoffs, one or two, lost one. Obviously, we know the one we lost. My mm. debut is better than all of them. How did that, where I came from? How did that debut compare for your one for Poulton against Larker in terms of you shitting yourself the night before? Was it so how uh, were you, were it you was, nervous? It, yeah, well, I didn't know until um the meeting before the game. So I knew while she was not playing very well, we were at the bottom of the league. Benny Lenartson obviously took over, who liked a bit of youth in the team. And whether that was the right way to go or not, who, who knows? But it probably wasn't, obviously, because we didn't stay up. But he wanted to put a bit of the youth into the game. I worked so hard in training. I was always the last one at the training ground. I did double sessions when everybody had gone home. Um, Mike Gibson, I nearly nearly killed him because he was absolutely, he was he was in it. He was in it with me because he was the one that effectively spoke about how good I was and my potential to the club to get. So he was in it with me. And what a bloke. He, he gave me every minute of his life when I wanted it to, to get me to a level that I could play in that first team as quickly as possible. To the point where five years into my professional career at Bristol City, I passed 150 games. Um, everybody back then could go away for six, seven weeks on the holiday in the summer and just come back, you get ram ragged for three weeks, then you get the footballs out. It's very different now, of course, but I didn't do that for five years on the trot. I spoke to Gibbo after every, the last game of every season, I spoke to Gibbo and said, when are your dates you go on holiday? And he only went away for a week, I was buzzing. And he gave me the dates. So I booked my holiday the same week that he went. Yeah. yeah. Those, other, those other six weeks in the summer holidays, I could train five days a week with him. He'd go do his post round, then he'd go to the training ground at lunchtime. And we do a two-hour session every day, five days a week, unless we were on all day. And that went, we were on all day, as in not together on the beach, sat next to each other, but he would fly off somewhere. And on yeah. the same day, I'd be off. And the minute he was back, I was back. I was on the phone. Let's go training. Let's go training. And he put a, a piece in my um, testimonial brochure. Yeah. And it sort of epitomised me and, and, and how hard I had to work, not only to keep getting new deals, but to stay in football for as long as I did. And he wrote, um, I hadn't even got back off the plane. Uh, I, haven't, I just got back off the plane. I hadn't even undone my suitcase. And I was getting a phone call off Steve to get to the training ground. Yeah. So on that day, obviously, I'd obviously flew, landed before him. <laughs> so I'd unpacked all my gear. <laughs> Straight up. And, 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 and rang him. As soon as I unpacked and put all my gear in the rush, I right, Gibbo, get Gibbo on the line. He'd only just walked through the front door. Yeah. And he left his suitcase on the bed, got his training kit on, and we were off. And, and basically, that that is the reason, and he is the reason, why I had over 600 games and 22 seasons in professional football. Yeah, mm. oh, fair play. Um, uh, right, well, obviously, look, you played, you played look, over 250 games for City. Um, has that been forgotten? As we sit here today, do you feel like you've been forgotten out of? Yeah, massively, mate. Yeah, I do, I do. And uh, listen, I... I it, it, it doesn't bug me, but uh, I think the club have been a bit disrespectful. I think they're disrespectful to all their older players. Lewis Carey's not even been invited back once since he's left. He's the record oh. appearance holder for the club. That's a disgrace, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Um, does it bother me? No. The lack of dis- the lack of respect for me when I left has always I've always got a bit of a gripe about that, um, and we'll go on to that in a minute. But yeah, yeah. I played three hundred I played three hundred eight games for that that club. Wore that yeah. shirt three hundred eight times. I give it absolutely everything I had for that club and loved it, every second of it. And because of where I went after, 
and that wasn't my own fault, as we'll go into. Yeah. They've, I bet you if you walk into the club, there's not one picture of me on the wall. Mm. 10 years, 10 years, 308 games, not, a, not yeah. one picture. I bet they took them down. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I can understand. I, I guess uh would things have been different if when that move came to go to Bristol Rovers, would they have been different if um we weren't as if Bristol or Gary Johnson wasn't as successful as um you know getting getting into the championship, getting the promotion from League One? Uh, I don't know, I don't think it had anything to do it didn't have nothing to do with him, mate. It, it was it was the falling out between me, the chairman and Gary. Yeah reason why talk of me it's like I've never played um, with the fans it's about me going to Bristol Rovers I accept that I knew that was coming right I had and we'll go on to talk about that in a minute but I got no problem with the fans it, that's the way football is whether that's right or wrong who knows but um, I got pretty thick skin and no one's ever rattled me yet and I'll be pro- probably be, no one will before I die so I ain't bothered about that nah. Um it was the it was the fallout created by Gary Johnson that has caused that that in effect. So um, yeah, I I despise the bloke really. Um, he's he didn't have an ounce of humbleness in him. I didn't mind not playing. I didn't mind him saying you're not for me. Yeah, don't don't treat me like an animal, which is what he did. Um, yeah. Leave me out. Don't play me for an hour in the reserves and take me off. Mm. Um, you're you're taking the piss. Someone who's played for ten years for one club, given everything, played three hundred eight games. I expected a little bit more. Um, yeah, of course. I expected a little bit more than that. And and they made it difficult. They wanted 50 grand for me. I hadn't played for seven months in the first team. It was the first club that came in that said, right, we're going to give you 50 grand. I was going. It didn't matter who it was. It could have been Tim Buck to United. All I wanted to do was play. Yeah. So happened it was Bristol Rovers. That's the way it goes. What's, uh, what's your opinions on, on Lee? Lee being the manager. Um, He's exactly the same. His, yeah, tra- his traits were exactly the same as his dad. His traits were exactly the same as his dad, Darren Way. Um under Gary Johnson at Yeovil. Yeah. I've been a coach at Yeovil. Darren Way's traits were exactly the same as that. Um, right. That ain't for me. I, I, I'm not um, I'm not a fan of treating people like that, I'm afraid. So I was, um, yeah, that, that was the way it was. And everybody has their own way and their own manner. This, it was successful for Gary, but I think for people, for players that you don't, for players that you don't want, there's a better way around it than than, than doing what they did. But, you know, it's, it's all about opinions at the end of the day and uh, all bygones and, it, what he did, what he did was brilliant because it got me a move to a club that I absolutely adored and played for four years for, that we had the best times ever. And it was one of the highlights of my career, promotion and Johnson's painting one season. Obviously yeah. going back to Ashton Gate and shutting that bloke up after yeah. him all the grief in the build-up in the build up to the game. It was all about me. He was trying to put unbelievable pressure on. We know his weaknesses. We know this. We know that. To go there, keep a clean sheet and to beat him 1-0 at home. And for Basso to kneel down when the ball goes under the crossbar... Absolutely topped it right off. <laughs> uh, to be fair, to be the bloke that you are as well, you must be you must have thrived in that. Look, this is horrible for me to say, I've got to say. It's horrible to listen to. But yeah, to beat that pressure right. and that size, obviously Coops here is obviously very happy about that. Um, but yeah. There was, it, it, like, I, I'll just explain to you the pressure because it, the, the papers were full up with me all, all, all week. It was all about me going back there. Blah, blah. It, it sort of took the gloss off it being an actual area final. That Actually, if you win, guys, we're going to Wembley. Yeah, mm. yeah, you know, and and it was just it was just a derby game. It wasn't the was derby no... game that got you to Wembley. Yeah, and I just remember it. It was all about they thought they were going to wipe the four of us. I, I I thought we were going to. I thought we'd struggle. If I, I thought if we could hang on at Ashton Gate to a sort of the odd goal, mm. I thought we had a chance at the men. 
because it's a hard place to go. It's not a very nice pitch. It's a bit of a dog of a, a ground compared to what they had. And they had a few prima donnas and that, you know, that did their air before the game and put a bit of makeup on and that. <laughs> and then I, I just knew if we held, if we held in there, um, we had, we'd had, we'd have a chance. And we were, I can remember going from North Bristol to South Bristol down the M32 and there's dollies hanging off the bridge is on the M32 with my shirt on. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then we get to the ground. And how many people stand outside the supporters, the, the the players' entrance on a match day? 50? Yeah, yeah. Well, there was about a 1,000. Yeah, yeah. So I, I made it. I waited until everybody got off the bus and I stayed on there for five minutes. <laughs> I told the bus driver, I just told the bus driver, I said, just wait here a minute, mate. So I had a, I had a plan of how I was going to deal with all that. And I had a plan with how I was going to deal with all the the emotion in the crowd during the game because I knew it would be songs about me. I knew it and, and it played right into our hands because the whole stadium sang songs about me, took the pressure off everybody else in our team. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it absolutely worked absolutely perfectly. And Stuart Naylor, unbeknown to Stu, <laughs> um, who was there when I was a player with Keith Welsh, the two, they were the two goalies when I signed and then Stu was goalie coach when I left. Yeah. Um, he had a sharp, he had a sharp sword as well. He, said to me as I walked out from my, because I, I actually walked out at the same time as him from our warm-up. And he turned around and he went, oh, just don't do it. Try and do anything you can't do or you're not good at. Try, no, I can't remember the exact words, but it, it <laughs> no, he, he absolutely played right into my hands because the emotion, it would it have been very easy for me to let the emotion of that night take control of my performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. Um, and I think it, it was one of them. I was on the edge with the emotion. And if he hadn't said that, who knows how, how it might have affected, I might have been different, uh, mentally I might have been different, but in saying that, as I walked out, I thought, all right, what are you saying? Yeah, and it actually yeah. made me think, right, keep you calm, because what I want to do is punch him in the face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what I said, what I said in my head was, he went, don't try and do anything you can't do or something derogative or something snidey yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And um, just reminded me at the best moment possible, right, keep your head, don't do anything you can't do, keep your game plan, do the things you're good at, Let's hope the boys and us, we perform to a point where we are still in the game, going back to Memorial. And it, it it was perfect. We played perfectly. We defended brilliant. I don't think I was under that much pressure. I made a couple of saves. I think you the post as well. Or I made a save and Steve Brooker kicked one over the bar from quite close. They hit the crossbar, didn't they? Right right uh, at the end. And then we, and then Disley missed up the other end as well. Yeah. 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 And then obviously the, it was, a, it was a Robert Russell going back to, to the Memorial Stadium where, Again, it was all about the pressure and all, it was a lot less than the build-up to the Bristol City game, let me tell you about me. And it was more about the Derby game in the final, which was good because that's what everybody wanted to read about. It they didn't want to read about me. And, and lo and behold, Gary Johnson wasn't as pipe, didn't pipe up as much in the yeah. lead-up to the second yeah. leg. He was a bit quieter about the situation. And um, we were awesome on the night and yeah. thoroughly, thoroughly deserved to go through on the, over the two legs. I remember the um, before the first the first leg at Ashton Gate. It was all about how many were Bristol City going to score against Rovers because you know City were flying yeah. top of League One. We we were sort of stuttering around mid mid, mid table. Um, so lower, the lower. We lower. were lower. Uh, so we were clear about six bottom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They were the clear favourites. And then do you think once we kept that clean sheet at Ashton Gate and the pressure all of a sudden turned onto City then for the second yeah. leg? Yeah. 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 I did absolutely. And like I said, you got a few prima donnas in there. Couldn't handle that. That atmosphere at that stadium when it was full, or even when there's only eight or nine thousand there, is immense. Yeah, because it's an odd, odd, it's an odd stadium in it. So there's a bit of cover. There's no cover. There's Very some tents. Awesome. There's yeah. it's a bit of hodgepodge in it. Yeah. And let me tell you, there was a few players that did not fancy that night on their team. Did not fancy it. 
Um, and we knew, and we knew that. We knew that. We About played into our hands. And we, the pitch was shocking. It was a rugby pitch. We were going to play Stockport a few days before that, weren't we? And uh, Yeah, we got it called off. It mysteriously got flooded, the pitch, a few days before. I know. I actually turned the hose pipe on that night. <laughs> Jim Gannon wasn't pleased, was he? No, he was fuming. He was fuming. I didn't tell Jim that it was me that turned the hose pipe on, though. <laughs> Is that a true story or not? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, we flooded the pitch, yeah. <laughs> because uh, Stockport were flying, weren't they? And uh, they flying. were unbeaten. And then in the, in the... I don't think it. I don't. I don't think it was much to do with that. It was. I think there was a rugby match on it as well, quite close to that. Yeah. And I think the the groundsman warded it a little bit too hard, um, <laughs> and it didn't drain the best. It was a rugby pitch. You can't. That they spent no money on the pitch. Now Ashton Gate, they have how much of a million quid pitch? Yeah. It yeah. coats of rugby and it coats of football. You wouldn't know. They spent seven grand on our pitch. Yeah. So it wouldn't have been no good if you were just playing football on it, let alone getting rugby players on it. There are 20 stone each and 15 each side. Yeah. And the reason I think behind trying to get that one off was because um, of the importance of that second leg, not yeah. only financially, but the, 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 you know, it was a derby. It's huge. We're not even in the same league anymore. They don't come around very often now, do they? So they yeah. made the most of it and made sure that we had our best team. knowing because we could have got three injuries in that game. We'd have been finished. We would yeah. never have beat Bristol City. Stuart Campbell got injured. Steve Elliott might have got injured, let's say. We'd have, that would have been us finished. Yeah. We didn't have much depth. So they were clever. Mm. No, God, no. No, no, no. No, we had about 14 players. And that was it. The whole season. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, we, yeah. So it was, I think it rained as well, which helped. Otherwise, we would have probably been put in prison for a <laughs> fraud or something. But it well. actually rained quite hard over the Memorial Stadium that night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a great night. That I love that. The um, so when you went across the Bristol, my, one there's only one thing I regret in my whole career. One thing, and after that game, I'd controlled myself so well mentally and kept two clean sheets. Absolutely buzzing with that. And and I ran into the direct. Took me twenty minutes to get off the pitch because I was getting chucked about by the fans. It was mental. <laughs> when I got off the pitch, I walked into the changing rooms and they're all holding flags up, champagne everywhere because it's all about getting to the final that trophy in it. Yeah, and I stupidly ran in front of everybody and pulled a mooner. To the camera, Jeff Davis was the cameraman. He was, I I he, that, he was a yeah. he was a Bristol Rovers cameraman. Yeah, so I pulled my shorts down as a mooner to the opposition, basically not as in what to one person. You know who that is. So yeah. I did a mooner to the camera. I actually went and knocked on the. I didn't knock on the door <laughs> after the, when I ran down the tunnel after that away game, our home game. Sorry, I because um, our dressing room doors are opposite each other at the Memorial Stadium, yeah. literally five foot away off the corridor. So. Um, I was that emotional after the game and, and with what has happened, I opened the door and he was in there chatting to his player or shouting at his players and that, and I just let rip, called him all the names under the sun, have that, you little, whatever, whatever, whatever. <laughs> and then ran out in back of me own dressing room. Mm. Not one of the players give me a wallet or boot me out of their dressing room. Not one of them. They just sat there. Yeah, so that, yeah. for me, that, for me, said a lot about what they thought about the manager. Because if Danny Wilson was in the dressing room like that and one of Someone the opposition else. came in and started having to go him, I'd have ran and two-footed him straight out of the door. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. for me, that said a lot. That said a lot. So I never pulled the Mooner. And then beyond belief, Jeff Davis puts the picture of me pulling the Mooner in the paper. <laughs> and as a fan, as a fan, yeah. it must have been a proper kick in the bollocks. And that didn't help with the relationship it, it, the relationship between most of the fans and me had gone anyway because of where I, I went but that did not help one bit 
that's the only thing I regret. I didn't keep my composure right until the end. Going in the opposition dressing room and doing that, that's, that's part football. and parcel. That's football. But doing that and for Jeff to put it in the po- in the paper, yeah. oh, I slaughtered him. I slaughtered him. And, I, and that's the only thing I wish I could change. Which if I didn't, I could go in and celebrate and do all, but to do that, I, I lost my call right at the last minute. And yeah. I regret that. Well, I think that's understandable after everything you've been through, to be fair. Do you remember much of that? Yeah, but... Uh, I'm a, yeah, you say that it's it's understandable, but it's not the right thing to do. And I I'm, I I try and pride myself on having a bit of dignity and morals and having good values and stuff. And and for that split second, I didn't. Which, like I say, if I could turn the clock back, I would I would have kept my shorts up. So when you moved across the divide between it's well documented between City and Rovers, you know what was the biggest difference you noticed between the two clubs straight away? One was like a non-league club, and one was like a professional club. No guessing for which one's which is which. Obviously, obviously, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all I remember is Trollope, Paul Trollop and Lenny Lawrence were absolutely outstandingly good, very, mm-hmm. very good. Um, all and, and the next thing I remember is being shown the new plans for the stadium and the new plans for the training ground. Which one? It's been two, a few. Two, yeah, two thousand and six, this was right. All oh, right, yeah. Well, when they were going to still no new ground, st- still no new ground, and still no new training ground. They've got right. That's now we're in twenty twenty one. So that says yeah. a lot. The training ground was at Cologne, which is in Wiltshire, which was a work a, a working army base. Yeah, it was disgraceful. Really, absolutely disgraceful. I wouldn't have let my dog run on the pitch. It was disgusting. <laughs> Mole hills. The grass was past your ankles. There's helicopters and things flying over your head. You can't hear. It's on the top of the hill. It was so windy. You kick the ball, and it, it well, it was it was a shambles from. Top to bottom, it, it was an hour and twenty minutes to get there, and I lived in Bristol, played for Bristol Rovers, but got to travel an hour and twenty minutes to get the training. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was disgusting. Uh, it was disgusting. We talk about the stadium and the pitch. How the pit, the, the pitch was ridiculous, very difficult at times, really difficult. I was, I was, I was lucky because the goalmaker was always good because the rugby players never went in between the posts. They always ran down the flanks, or you know, so the goal area was okay, but the rest of the pitch, God alive, horrendous at times. Um, but the training ground, I couldn't get my head around why we were training that far away from Bristol, and then it was it it was obvious it cost them five grand a year. Is that it? Five grand a year. <laughs> five or seven grand. It was like it was so cheap compared to what normal training. It got cut once a week. I turned up there once and I half asleep because it was so far away. And driving up this, it's about two miles into the army camp, right at the back of the base. There's a massive old air hangar, four of them in a row, and we had one of them. And there was like asbestos on the roof, rats, mice in there, and oh, it was freezing cold. Yeah. And it was a typical old army hangar. Horrible, horrible. And I just heard this whirling noise. And I looked up, and there was four or five Chinook helicopters that had land, landed on our training pitches. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, got like, they got 18 wheels each. 18 yeah. wheels, right? Times four. Yeah. So we couldn't even train. Some major, some army major had flown in from somewhere and, and the whole place got shut down. So we'd gone up there to train and we couldn't train. <laughs> Straight away, I'm fuming with that. Helicopter on the field. So four helicopters on the train. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there was four football pitches and there was a Chinook on each pitch. We're talking the middle, middle of the winter. And how much do they weigh? I don't know, 100 tonnes each, maybe more. Yeah, yeah. So the, ne- the next day we turn up, and they filled all the holes in, but what they what they did was they got a load of soil that had loads of stones in it. And these these holes are a foot deep at least, right? <laughs> 18, 18 holes that are a foot deep at least in the ground. Oh, yeah. So all they did was shovel soil with stones and all like not 
go and get some proper soil. It was like they dug it out the hedge, <laughs> put it in a wheelbarrow, tipped the wheelbarrow in the hole and went yeah. on and did the next one. So that every hole that was in the pitch had a mound, like a molehill. And that was just <laughs> four pitches, 18 holes on every pitch. <laughs> yeah. 18 holes on every pitch. I've never yeah. seen nothing like it. And I, I just, and it, in the, oh mate, honestly. And in the end, it, 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 I, I caned it in the, in the press. And that was the reason why I had to, they made me leave. The chairman, the, chairman the, said, "Yeah, because I came out in the press right in my, in my. It was the end of my last year, uh, end of the third year I was there, yeah. and every year on my contract. And I'd had an absolute gut, so I didn't, I couldn't bring myself to keep going there. So mm. I thought, right, I'm going to do something about this. So either I'm going to go, yeah. or I'm going to say it so that they actually think, oh yeah, this is not not great. This is it. Yeah. And it was me that went." I, I said it in the press. The press took it out of context. You know what they do? They blow it up. They took pictures of the, the asbestos roof that was falling in. And yeah. um, and, and it, it was like 1920s army barrack with like the old benches, concrete floors, freezing cold. Mm. And the chairman just said to Charles, you're never playing him again. Right. And that's when I went to Turkey for a trial. I went on, I, I agreed terms at Ankaguchu in Turkey where Darius Vassal played for in the Super League. Went out there for a week. It was a shambles, so I came back, went on loan to Shrewsbury, and then went on loan to Crew later in the year. But it was that reason why Fraser Forster came in. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. So, so when you in your first seasons of Rovers, you know you, you've gone across the divide, you've gotten all this abuse from City fans. Opening the other season away at Peterborough, we get turned over four-one, and then not long after that, half time. Yeah, and then not long after that, a go-go star, star striker sold to Forest. Were you thinking? Yeah. Listen up. Uh, do you know what? I joined halfway through pre-season and we were in uh, the busy heights of Torquay, I think, on pre-season tour. <laughs> <laughs> the English well Riviera, mate. Stayed. It's not to be sniffed we at. May, we may as well, we may as well have stayed in Bristol, right? It was, <laughs> it was pointless. Absolutely pointless. Everywhere, anywhere, everywhere else was jetting off to like La Manga and, and all these, uh, we were in Torquay, it was, it was pointless. We had yeah. a couple of games against some non-league teams then we came back. <laughs> um, all I remember when I signed was the abuse I got. So I got dog shit from my letterbox, breeze blocks from my car window, the breeze block, one of the breeze blocks from my car window was so big, I couldn't even lift it out. I had to get someone to give me a hand to lift it out. Um, death threats on my mobile phone, all the shit, all the nonsense, keyboard warriors. No one ever said I'm going to kill me to my face. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Always yeah. send it on a message, all bullshit. And then someone smashed, someone smacked me in the gym because uh, uh, I still had a, a membership at uh, David Lloyd in, by Ashton Gate. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I had, uh, so I kept going. So I lived in Bedminster Down. So I thought, why should I stop going to the gym and actually get just because I've gone to Bristol Rovers? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I kept going and I got grief and all that. And then someone came up behind me, give me a right up from behind in the gym. Jeez. And um, you get that in so David Lloyd. That's a well-to-do so, gym, though. You don't think you get that? Yeah, yeah. Um, you man. do, mate. You do. It's amazing yeah. what football does to some people, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, I, I, uh, yeah. Quickly, I, be, I, I was aware that it, it was going to be a bit, bit more of a problem than I thought. So that was good fun, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So part two gets a bit more uh, loose, so uh, you know, make sure you have a listen when you release next week. Yeah, definitely. So Brizzard 11 time. Yes. We have our centre-backs. We do, mate. Yeah. Um, and, you know, 50-50, you got one, I got one. Yeah, I'm happy with that. I yeah. think, yeah, it's cool, you know. It's a solid little centre-back pair, I think. Stops the arguments. Andy Tilson and Lewis Carey. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Two leaders. 
Definitely. Uh, you know, one has got the pace, the other one is more of a ball winner. Yeah, yeah. So they both both get both score a few goals. So you know, solid back four then, or solid defense. Nigel Martin in goal. Yeah. Michael Smith and Joe Bryan at fullback, and then Andy Tilson and Lewis Carey, kind of holding this holding the center. So far, so good. Mm. Um, I wouldn't want to play that team. No, exactly no. Now we get onto the sexier positions, shall we say? If that's what you want to say, yeah, yeah. yeah. The more like exciting positions. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, the goal getters. So we're talking right midfield. We are, so mate. We're going four four two. Not many teams use that anymore. But... No, but it's a Bristol yeah. eleven four four two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I went first last week, so how about you go first this week? No worries. Yeah, I know, um... I know, I know who you're going for because you're a little fanboy. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Look, he was the first player I got on the back of my shirt. I was about six years old. Uh, I remember getting it for Christmas. Uh, Scotty Murray shirt. Um, and he's an obvious choice, mate. Still involved with the club as kit man. Um, he was signed by John Ward in 1997. 426 appearances, scoring 91 goals. I just remember sitting in the Dolman Block A, mate. Every time he got the ball and running towards a goal, you'd hear everybody, you'd hear all the seats stand up, and you'd hear, go on, Scotty. And he'd take them on, and it'd normally be, well, not every time, would it? But uh, he was great. He was Brilliant to watch. Um, one of my favourite ever goals as a Bristol City fan is the equaliser against Middlesbrough in the FA Cup, um, where Scott Murray, look, from outside about 25 yards out, um, lifts it over Schwarzer, settles, nestles in the corner, he sort of comes out for a dodgy punch. And I just remember it. The atmosphere was brilliant. It was, it was really... It, it was a cross, wasn't it, that? No, absolutely not. <laughs> I, absolutely not a cross. I bet it was a cross. Absolutely not. Left foot, you can see what he's trying to do. Lift it over the keeper. It's stunning. Um, yeah, it was just one of my favourite ever Bristol City goals. And, and to be there, that was that was class. Um, and then obviously the two goals against Cardiff stick in everyone's mind. Um, yeah, he hasn't made many friends down at Ninian Park. Um, and obviously the cup in the air and doing the Ayatoya with the uh, head. Oh, yeah, the head yeah right. right in front of the home end. Um <laughs> Yeah, and of course, obviously now he's the club's kit man, an absolute legend, um, someone I'd love to have on here as well. And, and he's part of your match day ritual, isn't he? The shower. That's something you've made up here. but um, your, your words, not mine. Just, I, yeah, yeah. Well, I can obviously clarify that if we ever get a chance to speak to Scott. But, yeah, uh, I'm sure he's not, yeah. I'm sure he's run a mile by now. <laughs> but no, uh, yeah, that's got to be it. It's, look, it's a no-brainer. Absolute club legend, Scott Murray. I will love it if you don't get Scott Murray in this team. Well, who have you gone for? So I'm going for Billy Bodum. Who? Billy Bodum. Right. So um, he's a risky signing, signed by Daryl Clark after we got promoted from League Two to League One. Yeah. Uh, risky signing just because he had lots of knee injury problems for that. Yeah. Um, but then he went on to play 95 games, scoring 35 goals. Yeah. One and three, not a bad record for a winger. No. Um, he scored the equaliser. That day against Dagenham and Redbridge, when we went one nil down, and that was the game we got promoted to League One. Yeah, rarely do we have flair players at Bristol Rovers. Well, you're not exactly known for your flair, are no, you? No, we... you weren't called up for the Jogger Benito adverts. <laughs> no. I know that. Yeah, I get, in my in my thirty years nearly of watching Bristol Rovers, I can think of two flair players. Yeah, and that's Mark Walters. Yeah, and Billy Bowden. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, he scored some amazing goals. Mm-hmm. Cutting in, his left had a peach of a left foot. Yeah, um, used to cut inside, smack it, top corner, 
used to do the step overs like a league one Ronaldo league two Ronaldo right and I'm sure he'd be really happy you calling him a league two Ronaldo <laughs> yeah yeah, it's better than a conference Ronaldo isn't that's it? very true um, and then when Matty Taylor left to you guys he took the number, sh- number 10 shirt on yeah and then departed for the championship just like Matty Taylor did as well so yeah yeah so it seems when anybody takes the number 10 shirt they're just off they of, go yeah, it's a bit of the Rovers' way, that isn't it? Yeah, mm. uh, but he is—he hasn't seemed to have much injury, not much luck. Sorry, after he left Rovers with his knee again, so, so his last injury is reading—he's at Preston now. Yeah, I was reading it. He was having a—he was standing having a drink after training. <laughs> Someone kicked the ball and it hit him in the knee, and then it's put it put him out again. You know, when it, when a ball's hitting your knee and putting you out. Minimum of a footballer is being hit by a football. I feel yeah. like anybody who wants to play football needs to be hit by a football and yeah. not collapse. Yeah, so um, that's pretty worrying, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, hopefully he gets that sorted. Um, mm. Yeah, I remember him when he signed. Not bad. He's got nothing on Scott in there. <laughs> uh, I would love it. In the words of Kevin Keegan, <laughs> I would love it if Scott Murray doesn't get into this team. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. So there you have it. Um, get voting via our Twitter. You can find us at Brizzle Kicks Pod. Vote for Scott Murray or Billy Bowden for the right midfield position of the Brizzle 11. So that's all we've got time for this week. If you enjoyed this podcast, the best way to help us out is by subscribing. And you can even give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, five stars would be lovely. Also, if you'd like to get in contact, again, just contact us on Twitter at BrizzleKicksPod and drop us a tweet. We'll be back in a week's time with part two of the interview with Stevie Phillips. Nice one. See you next week. See you next week. <laughs>